You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Well, hey there, Red Door Church. Welcome to the new normal. This is going to be the way that we are um, recording content in order to uh, disciple you, encourage you, strengthen you in your faith during these crazy times and it'll be for the foreseeable future and just on that I thought I'd share uh, a couple of things that have been on my heart the last few days before we get into the teaching for today. First of all um, just on this um, I've been challenged even just this morning getting ready to record this um, challenged by my tendency to go to the scarcity mindset when it comes to things like this. Remember, we introduced this paradigm in the last teaching series on money and possessions, but just the scarcity mindset that my brain goes to when I think about the fact that I don't want to do this, I don't want to sit in an empty room talking to a camera, uh, I don't want to be disconnected from you as the gathered people of God, I, you know, um, I, I, I did that sin of comparison thing, which is just kills us, um, just, just feeds the fires of the scarcity mindset where I was looking at what other churches are doing and, and looking at the setup that they've got and then contrasting that with our, our stuff here, this dingy setup and you should see the camera setup. It's, it's, it's amazing, um, in a, you know, in a ironic kind of way, um, and, you know, I saw other churches, the stuff they're doing online and digital and, you know, I don't know, hologram church for, you know, and it, I just went way into the scarcity mindset where I was doubting whether any of this would be of any use at all. And so if that's where you've gone as well in the midst of this current situation, seeing all of the restrictions and all of the things that we appreciate and love being taken from us, then let me just encourage you, even now with me, just to usher your mind, usher your heart into the abundance mindset. And even now as you sit and and watch this on, on your computer or your TV or wherever you are, um, to think about the fact that even in these circumstances, God has good gifts for us. And to be able to look for the gift and receive the good. Um, so even now in this teaching, please be mindful of what what is God doing here? Where is he active? Where is he offering me gifts that he wants me to receive as good? Um, the other thing I've just been thinking about is just the whole thing around anxiety. I've been particularly mindful of this as my kids have been going off to school each day and just the the way that though that school environment can be a little factory for anxiety and especially as kids talk to one another and um, but beyond that I think all of us are experiencing heightened levels of anxiety and the way I think about anxiety is is often that it is the the gap between the control that we want and the control that we have and in this current milieu, that gap is becoming really evident. It's always there, but we have this illusion, actually, that we have control. And that has been kind of cleared away so that we're really seeing, uh, maybe for the first time in a long time, the, the gap that exists between the control that we want and the control that we actually have. And so I just thought 
it'd be an encouragement for us to remember that while we do not have the control that we want, Jesus does. And it made my, my mind go back to this passage that I love from Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. Um, John, the Apostle John, in his vision um, of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And I think the reason that Jesus speaks in that way of having the the keys of death and Hades is because those two things, death and Hades or or condemnation or, or, or hell... Those are the things that we fear most as human beings, even as believers. The fear of death and the fear of condemnation. And Jesus is saying, I hold the keys to those things. While your level of control might be far less than you want, my level of control is undiminished. And so I just it would be good for us as a community to have that in our mind remember revelation chapter 1 verse 17 to 18 have that in your mind go back to it and meditate on that truth Uh, and i believe that that level of anxiety that we're all feeling will be diminished so let's jump into our teaching for today and as you know we are in a series looking at the way of jesus And uh, Jimmy has led us really well through the first two weeks of this series. This morning, I or or this evening, or whenever you're watching this, I'm um, I'm I'm going to be introducing us to the concept of of what we're calling habits of grace, what others have called spiritual disciplines, things like simplicity and prayer and scripture and feasting and fasting and Sabbath. These practices that enable us to use Jimmy's language to to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did and so this this teaching is a a kind of an introduction to that and so just to go back to the first week that Jimmy was teaching us he really introduced the whole problem which is really a a catastrophic problem we all found it very unsettling um, to be listening to the way that he was just sort of illustrating the, 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 the issues that we face today in terms of living with Jesus like Jesus and doing what he did. And, and um, f- for me, I kind of my mind went back to that anxiety example where anxiety is the gap between the control we want uh, and the control that we have. I was thinking, you know, the despair that we feel when someone like Jimmy a couple of weeks ago describes for us the lack of intimacy and communion that we have with God because of the way that we live our lives, that despair, crushing realisation that what he was saying is true, it's kind of like the gap between the communion we want and the communion we have. If anxiety is about the gap between the control we want and the control we have, then discipleship despair is about the the gap between the communion we want, we genuinely want with God this close, intimate, daily 
walking with Jesus, but we know there's a huge gap between what we want and what we actually have. And I think a big part of this, this gap, is driven by the Western culture that we live in. The air that we breathe is kind of um, is manifest to pull us away from that which we really want, which is closeness with Jesus. And so I've just got a couple of quotes here that I want to read to you that sort of describe the position we find ourselves in. So John Ortberg writes, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Michael Zigarelli says this, It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how we live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the circle begins again. I, I read that and and I, like, I'm... I'm anxious just reading it. I'm I'm tired, I'm exhausted just reading something like that because I think it's so true. It reveals something deeply true and deeply troubling about the way we're living today and Carl Jung, the famous psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, uh he he said this, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And uh, we might say that the, the same of distraction and, of course, those two things work hand in hand, hurry and distraction. And these, this, this Western culture that we live in is in some ways just totally characterised by hurry and distraction. And so we find ourselves drawn further away from that close communion with God that we actually really desire. So it's culture but it's also choice and we need to own some of this for ourselves. This is not just something imposed on us from without, it's also something that we choose within. That is, we make choices which affirm and reaffirm and reestablish this, this culture of hurry and distraction and, and, and distance from God. And so I think one of the ways in which our choices have a profound effect on uh, how close we are with Jesus is our our choices around media and media consumption. If, as we're going to discover, the habits of grace, these spiritual disciplines require this sort of ongoing daily training, which itself requires time, then the more time we spend doing other things will diminish what's left in order to uh, cultivate a close relationship with God. And media is a huge consumer of our time give you an example there's a a survey done recently a global survey uh, on media habits and I got a hand my hands on the Australian numbers so this is from the third quarter of 2019 um, up-to-date information and average daily consumption of Australians of media um, they broke it down like this 
Um, so in terms of internet use, five hours, 41 minutes per day on the internet. Social media, one hour, 44 minutes per day. Uh, television, three hours, 15 minutes per day. Music streaming, one hour and eight minutes. And gaming, 50 minutes. So you put all that together and that then becomes a huge part. Actually, more than um, the whole period most people have each day for rest and recreation, the kind of time that would be used in cultivating spiritual disciplines or habits of grace. And before you say, oh, that, that's those those crazy Gen Zs, you know, spending all their time on the inter, interwebs, uh, that's the, the, the data there is for... Australians aged 16 to 64. So this includes your mum who's on Facebook constantly scrolling through, right? That, that's everyone. Everyone from 16 to 64 is spending an inordinate amount of time on media. And we'll get more into this particularly when we talk about simplicity and Sabbath in the coming weeks. But th- that just gives you a picture. It's both culture and choice that's driving a wedge between us and this daily apprenticeship with Jesus. And all of this widens the gap between the communion that we want and the communion that we have. So in summary then, just to restate kind of Jimmy's two parts that he's given us so far uh, in the two weeks preceding this one, that the fact is that things aren't working. For Christians today who desire close communion with God, things aren't working. We're exhausted and distracted. And what we really want deep down is something more. We want rich, intimate, daily communion with the God of love and the Prince of Peace. We want all of life, all about Jesus, to be more than just a pithy saying, a bumper sticker kind of doctrine. But then we have this world of blazing, blinking, round-the-clock distraction which makes what we really want really hard to get. And that's the place that we find ourselves in. Am I right? In some ways, this has always been the way and modern Western culture and media makes it more difficult for us. But Christians have always wrestled with this tension between the communion that they want and the communion that we, they have. And so Christians through the years have had different ways of dealing with this tension, the tension of the, the, the attraction of the world versus this desire to be close to Jesus. And so you've had through the years, back to the desert fathers, the, you know, these, these um, Christians who would withdraw completely, live a, a hermit life, uh, withdraw from the world and just focus on prayer and communion with God. You've got people like the Amish uh, in the area of America that I lived in. You would see these people who had committed to a completely um, technology-free way of life um, and commitment to um, spiritual disciplines and habits of grace. Um, more recently, we've had the Benedict option offered to us. And so you've got these ideas of how to live by withdrawing from those distractions. But I just don't, I don't see this as the way of Jesus. In fact, if you listen to his prayer for his disciples, for you and I, 
in John 17, he says, I'm not praying, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So this is where we get this understanding of how to live in the world, but not of the world. How to live within the world, but not be um, succumbing to the evil one, to distraction, to things that will separate us from God. And so the answer that we want to lead you into as a church is the answer that Jimmy provided last week into this, this daily apprenticeship with Jesus that enables us to be with Jesus and like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And that's really the purpose of these habits of grace that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. The habits of grace, the purpose of them, um, they're not ends in themselves, right? They, they are conduits, they are pathways into daily apprenticeship with Jesus. They are pathways into close communion with God. They are pathways into being with Jesus and like Jesus and, and to doing what he did. That's the purpose of these habits of grace. And we're going to take the next few weeks walking one by one through them, through things like simplicity and Sabbath, things like fasting and feasting, things like scripture and prayer. We're going to be walking through those and just asking the question, how can we incorporate these habits into our modern, western, busy, daily lives? So before we finish today, just to pave the way into that in the coming weeks, I just want to make sure that at least two things are really clear. And this is super important. So you've got to kind of 18 minutes into this video, you're starting to wander and think about what other media you'd rather be watching um, because you live in our culture, you are finding it really difficult not to be distracted. So let me just bring you back to the present and, 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 and implore you to make sure you have these two things right. Without these two things, we will go into all kinds of error when it comes to habits of grace. So the first thing we need to be really clear about, which I'm sure everyone in our church would affirm, is that our rightness before God, our righteousness... Right, the, our standing before God, our identity, our rightness with Him. Our rightness with God is a gift from God that cannot be earned. Our righteousness is a gift that we receive that cannot be earned through any works, including habits of grace including prayer and, and Bible study and Sabbath and silence and solitude and all these things, uh, the, these things that we're going to encourage you to do, strongly encourage you to do, are not ways and means of earning rightness with God. So let me just make it super clear. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Emphatic, right? And in Titus chapter 3, he says, Paul writing to Titus, When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness, that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, 
we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So being saved, forgiven by God, and then being made more and more like God, all of this is according to the grace and gift of God. So that is absolutely true. And at the same time, we are implored, exhorted, commanded in Scripture to work, to work hard, right? To work hard in order to follow Jesus. All the metaphors that you can think of from the New Testament about athletes and farmers and soldiers, right? All of these pictures that we have, metaphors for the Christian life, are centered around hard work, daily apprenticeship, ongoing training. So I'll give you a couple of those, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 to 27. Don't you know, Paul says, that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive an imperishable uh, they do it to receive a perishable crown. But we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So he uses that image of the athlete who trains and disciplines and does everything they can in order to run the race, which is his metaphor for the daily Christian life. So massive metaphor there of training hard, working hard. And then he says to his little son in the faith, Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, but I have nothing to do with point... Uh, sorry, starting it. He says, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths Rather, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So all of you who, like me, are worried about our gym memberships being suspended because we can no longer gather indoors, don't worry. It's okay. What we were doing at the gym, Paul says, yeah, that's of some benefit, but godliness, right? Training in godliness is beneficial in every way. It has benefits for this life and for the life to come. And so we have those two things together. We can't earn our salvation or our sanctification And we're called to work hard to follow after Jesus with every fiber of our being. And so one way of thinking about this is we use the terms effort versus earning. So it's clear that earning our salvation is is folly and something that mustn't and cannot be done. But that's earning, not effort. And Dallas Willard illustrates it like this. He says, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, an attitude of me getting myself right with God by the way, the the things that I do, right? Earning is an attitude. Effort 
is an action. The Bible tells us not to pursue the attitude of earning, but to pursue the action of effort. I love the illustration that Richard Foster gives. He kind of wrote the, the textbook on spiritual disciplines called Celebration of Discipline. And in that book, he illustrates it this way. And, and I think this is perfect. This is, just describes the whole thing so well. He says, A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines or habits of grace. They are a way of sowing into the spirit. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. So that's what the way I want us to think about as we talk about these habits of grace over the coming weeks. Remember, these are not things in themselves. They can do nothing for us in themselves. However, they are a vital part of us cultivating the ground, watering the seed, so that the Spirit, by His power, can bring about fruit in our lives. So that's effort versus earning. Last little thing I want to talk about is training versus trying. And again, Jimmy introduced this last week. But just so we're super duper clear, when we come to these habits, you need to be gentle to yourself. If you're like me, you're going to hear about all these habits we're going to talk about and then you're going to be super motivated to put all of them into place straight away and to pray two hours a day and to read the whole Bible this week and you know go overboard. That is a trying attitude when it comes to these things. It's just it's, it's trying to get to level 10 when you're still at level 1 and the, the product of that is despair and failure. I have this recurring dream. Uh, where I'm put in these positions where I've got to perform and I don't have the ability to do it. If you're a psychoanalyst right now, stop analyzing me. We already know, right? You've, you already know. Anyway, recurring dream. So, so it might be I have this one where I'm suddenly I have the violin that I was given as a five-year-old. Um, I have that and I'm before a large audience and I'm meant to be performing Bach. And you can imagine what it sounds like when someone who has no idea how to play the violin, because I never learned as a five-year-old, I gave up too quick, tries to play Johann Sebastian Bach in front of an audience. It's failure, it's embarrassment, it's despair. I have all kinds of versions of this dream. There's a swimming one, an Olympic swimming one, variations of which have me without any... Speedos on for some reason, just to right, just to compound the humiliation. And so I have these dreams where I'm I'm expected to perform and I can't do it. And this is how we can feel when it comes to the spiritual disciplines or the habits of grace. Suddenly we feel like we've got to perform and we we haven't yet trained in order to perform. And so the point is that we as a church want to begin training, begin slow begin at level one and start training ourselves so that in time we're able to live out these habits without perpetual failure and disappointment. I like the way John Ortberg describes training versus trying. He says this, 
there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Spiritual formation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. I love that. So just as we finish now, let me just uh, read some words of Jesus to you. Let this be an invitation by Jesus into what we believe he is leading us into in the coming weeks. This is from Matthew's Gospel, from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. He says to you and to me, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to learn in the coming weeks that the yoke of Jesus is the, the kind of summary of his teaching. It is living with Jesus and like Jesus and doing what he did. And so he's inviting us into that, into the way of Jesus and saying this is easy and light compared to the way you're doing life in, in the hurry and in the constant distraction and in the comparison with others. The way you're doing life is not easy, but I'm inviting you into something that is easy and light, a, a way of life that will actually give life. And so I think during this time where we are having all of these attachments to our lives taken away from us we're having all of these events and appointments and responsibilities taken from us we have a unique opportunity now to actually live this out let's take a hold of the opportunity let's take it as a gift from god and start to practice this way of life as jesus invites us into it just as we go let me say a word of blessing over us as a family friends The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you guys. See you again soon. Grace and peace.